it's a, a lot of a lot of money and pain to impress a bunch of dweebs, honestly. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, transportation editor at TechCrunch. And I'm Alex Roy, the uh, founder of the Human Driving Association and the director of special operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this show. And my name is Ed Niedermeyer. I am the communications director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. And I'm also a little bit down because I was so looking forward to our CES party this year, and I was so sure it was going to happen, and I'm so bummed that we had to cancel it. But maybe next year? I'll give you a great reason. I mean, listen, I'm sorry about the party, but there is a really good reason, maybe a, a, was a silver lining as to our not having the party. There were so many announcements at CES that would have demanded that we just lace into these companies, that if these folks had come to our party in person, it would have been very tense. And I think Kirsten Korosek, the most credible journalist in the sector, is going to tell us about these things because she knows more about these announcements than anyone. Right, Kirsten? Ah, uh, yes. Mm. Um, also, there's that other fun fact that we didn't really want to be responsible for like spreading COVID to all the best and brightest minds in transportation Yeah, and then sending them back home. Mm. Um, and also, everyone I know seems to have COVID right now. I had it. Did you? I did. Hmm, okay. It in no way changed my generally bad mood. So not much <laughs> happened. Um, now I, I suffered. It, it was done. I, I I believe in vaccination. That's all I can say. Okay. <laughs> Good. Uh, so let's talk about CES. But more importantly, this is the predictions episode. And we probably should have gone back and looked at our predictions. But you know what? It's all in the past. We really want to see how we did. We don't make predictions to be held accountable to them. That's not the point. I do. And I'm I'm often right. Well, I think that we're going to actually invite the audience in the future to maybe a Twitter spaces or something. And y'all can go back and then. Y'all. Yeah. It's the best word because it is inclusive and applies (sighs) to everyone, including animals. Y'all. Yeah. Um, at any rate, y'all can um, join Twitter Spaces and then talk to us about how wrong we were, how right we were. But we're not going to get into that now. Um, first, we're going to talk about CES, and then we're going to get into predictions. And what was your takeaway, Alex? CES. You weren't there. I wasn't there, but I was covering it remotely. I have long been a proponent a proponent of clarity in language and honesty in marketing. This show was founded by us in order to cut through the hype and nonsense around autonomous vehicle technology and mobility in general. And after several years of progress, I feel that several companies, and I I hate to be this way because I I try to be a positive person. Mm. Um, Several companies made what I believe to be companies with interesting technology, some mealy-mouthed claims um, about what... That obfuscated the actual functionality of technologies they intend to bring to market soon. And, you know, that doesn't please me because it I makes it. I think what you're talking about, like to yeah. interrupt just briefly, yeah. is that, that 
at least what I saw is just really quickly, I saw like three main probably things. Okay, obviously EVs were a theme. But putting that aside for a moment, lots of news around compute, lots of news around advanced driver assistance systems, as well as automated driving features. (laughs) Automated. What? I mean, it was the- Let's just come out out and say it. Okay, Volvo- is a company that I love who makes okay. great cars. They make great cars. I love them. I have many friends there. This is a company which has a long history of credibility and honesty and um, sincerity around safety. And uh, I have admired them for that for a long time. But when I hear um, when I hear the phrase unsupervised driverless without real clarity in the next few words, then what I suspect is happening is that somebody in marketing or an agency or somewhere, someone somewhere is not either they either by uh, deliberately or maybe by accident that they're just not talking to the engineers who designed the system. Because back in 2016, Mercedes had an ad and the ad said, introducing a self-driven car. Uh, it's interesting. A self-driving car from a self-driven company. And clearly they, uh, somebody in marketing confused and conflated ADAS with self-driving. And now after years of progress in language around automation, we have this pronouncement from them. Okay. Uh, Well, let me tell, (laughs) let me tell the folks what the announcement was. And, you know, I'm going to push back a tiny bit because uh, they, they, to me, it wasn't necessarily fine print. Like we had it right in our stories. I don't know if it just didn't like get to everywhere, but Basically, what happened is Volvo is working with Luminar, LiDAR company, which they already have a relationship with, and its subsidiary, um, is it Zen? Zensiact. Zensiact, yeah. yeah. Smart people there. To, which is an uh, autonomous driving software subsidiary, and they're going to introduce a feature that they're calling Ride Pilot. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's going to be an add-on subscription, and they're calling it unsupervised AD feature, but Here's the qualifier. Uh, it is going right now. It's going under um, verification and testing, and you know then it will be validated. And it was going to be only used for highways, um, so limited operational design domain. But one interesting thing that I think you will appreciate, though, is that um, Volvo's VP of Digital Business told um, TechCrunch's um, Martin Christ, um, Christensen that. Um, Volvo will take liability when the car is driving itself. Well, that's great. And I respect, I, re, I respect him for that, but you just had to t- take 150 words <laughs> to explain what it is. And this in no way advances, this does not raise the bar for clarity or marketing or comparison of automation by consumers. This lowers it. And what that would, is the only be bar. Better, so if you were the head of marketing over mm. at Volvo cars, and by the way, this is just going to be first rolled out in California. So um, how would you have described Like what would have been the better way to describe this? Any, anything but ride pilot. Anything. I mean, <laughs> you could call it, you know, speed limited highway autonomy because it is speed limited. I mean, essentially, old- it sounds it sounds like traffic jam pilot, right? It's traffic it's, jam Which is pilot. essentially what the the level three feature that kind of is is coming, right? Or, or is out there, I guess, in the case of the of the S class. Right. The 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 difference is though is that the that this is meant to be unsupervised, right? So like the idea. Well, so is there, the Mercedes system. Yeah. If it's level three, it's unsupervised. Right. And then there's but one thing they didn't really talk too much about was like handoff. <laughs> if there is a handoff, 
Um, obviously, that, there is, would have to be. Kirsten, isn't it amazing? We've been doing this show, the three of us, for I don't even know how many years. We've had the exact same conversation for all those years. Nobody wants to come out and talk about transition management. And that is the Achilles heel. That is like the point. That is where this this becomes a problem. Where when is the demonstration of that? Hmm. So, and we we know that that I mean, Volvo has said that they'll put DMS on 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 every vehicle. But Kirsten, I want to answer your question. Uh, the yeah, hypothetical: please. If I were the the head of marketing for Volvo Cars, honestly, I think um, you know Luminar's demonstration at CES, which uh, we saw a lot of Looked video good. of. Um, you know, cause, cause part of the other news with Volvo is putting LIDAR, right? Like Luminar LIDAR is going to be in production Volvo cars, at least some of them. Um, and it will be powering this sort of higher level of automation. And, and to me, what was really interesting about that demonstration was, um, and, and by the way, the demonstration was, it was essentially, uh, uh, it was, a there was like a little child mannequin that would, uh, sort of go across a, a driving lane. Um, that was partially occluded by a, a like a, a stationary car. Basically, the car would come from behind that car, uh, get into the lane next to it, and that's when the kid would sort of run out in front of it. And 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 the the Volvo with the with the Luminar lidar, uh, even in low light conditions, would would stop it, stop and not hit it. Whereas they also had Teslas, um, you know, which just blew right through these kids. And I think, and, and of course everyone's going to say, oh, well, yeah, you just want to bash Tesla and not sell, sell Volvos. But, uh, <laughs> as head of marketing for Volvo cars, I would argue that, that, that that's a really important thing because, um, you know, the, the, the really troubling changes that we've seen in, uh, pedestrian deaths in, in the United States have all been, uh, at night in low light conditions or not all, but, but the vast majority of them are in low light conditions. And so I think that's a real data, you know, validated safety problem on the road right now. And that basically, you know, saying, you know, p- presenting the the real advantage of putting lighter on these vehicles as not necessarily that like another convenience feature, which to me, level three at this point kind of has to be, I, I don't know, I guess you could have a debate about it, but, um, uh, but, but instead solving a real world safety problem. Like that to me is, is, is Volvo, you know, that that's the Volvo brand is they apply technology, not for the sake of technology, but to solve real safety problems. And I think that there's going to be a huge advantage. And, and I know that there's a philosophical shift here. That's difficult for the OEMs because they've been really focused on how do we protect people inside the vehicle? And they've been really a lot less concerned about protecting people outside the vehicle. Although Volvo in Europe has certainly done a lot uh, with, with protecting people outside the vehicle. Um, but I still think that, that uh, you know, giving people the peace of mind that you can use, uh, you know, you can be driving in low light conditions. You can have a small child or someone run out from behind a car and that with these advanced sensors, you know, you're not going to hit this, this child or this person, which may not injure you, but still a situation a lot of people want to avoid. You don't want to have that on your insurance and on potentially legal consequences and all kinds of other things. And so I, I would have I would have highlighted that as sort of saying like here we're taking the technology and addressing real world safety problems and then and kind of let the level three stuff just be a little bit you know so you not, not, not the focus you wouldn't have until, done that announcement you know what Ed I'm firing you as the marketing head of marketing at Volvo because <laughs> that's fair because no, that's one, fair. because no one cares about safety and everyone just wants to sleep <laughs> in their self driving car um, but no, is, I mean that I Volvo's think, brand. 
Safety? <laughs> I, I no, I, I was just obviously being sarcastic. I think actually the social media post did more for Volvo and Luminar than any of their press releases because uh here's the thing. People do find safety boring to talk about and listen to, but it's still important to them. And that is a very quick way to like it was like pal- palatable. You couldn't not see it. And it was like very specific. And you're like, oh, that's the reason. This I understand. People were tweeting it with trigger warnings because it was, it was, it was triggering almost to and certainly if you'd lost a family member to a, a car, you know, hitting a pedestrian, it it would have been very triggering. And and you're right. It was a very powerful piece of communication. I think they just needed to take it to the next level. And and this is where it connects to kind of what Alex was saying, which is I think, you know, I I, I kind of on a gut level agree with with some with a lot of what Alex is saying because I think the the problem is that is is not that we're putting more advanced automation into into in, in, into cars that the public can can buy. It's that we're becoming we're go, we're kind of like regressing in terms of how vaguely we're talking about these things. And I think that you know the lesson of the last few years really should be that you know like one of them should be that. If you're talking about systems that people are going to be using, like like untrained consumers are going to be using on public roads, there's not a lot of room for vagueness and uncertainty. And and that if you leave things vague or uncertain, that's when bad things happen. And and while I I'm sure Volvo is doing a better job of designing its system to avoid predictable abuse than others have done so far, I would still say like being specific about the communication is really important. And if they hadn't developed whatever these features are enough to be able to be specific about them, then yeah, you wait on that announcement and you wait until you do have enough detail to really say, this is what this is in real terms. May I weigh in with a more comment or Kirsten, do you want to chime in? Go ahead. So this is the thing that drives me crazy. Okay. So you're Volvo or Mobileye, you're anybody. And you start talking about, you can own an autonomous car. Like you're going to have an, and you're going to have an auton- a privately owned autonomous vehicle within a couple of years. And then these same companies are partnered with or investing in actual L4 robotaxi in urban centers. How is the consumer in the street, why would, I mean, how are they supposed to know the difference before either have arrived? Because then these L4 robotaxi fleets roll out and people are going to be like, well, why should I use them? Because I can have an autonomous vehicle in six months or next year. Yeah, right. And, 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 I, they, and so they perpetuate perpetuating the problems of private ownership and traffic and yada yada in all these cities. And so this mixed messaging is just you know it's like shooting oneself in the foot um, around uh, and obscuring a I mean what I'm hoping will be a march towards you know, improving conditions in cities, which isn't solely about cars or ADAS or autonomy. It's got to be holistic. It's about a lot of other things. So I will say one thing you, you kind of uh, briefly mentioned Mobileye in there. And I, to be fair to Mobileye, uh, Dr. Shashua has been pretty clear for years now. I mean, I can go back to some interviews I did with him three years ago in which he very clearly had a goal in mind to do like um even be, I mean, I, I raised my eyebrow at it because he, they had, developed a pretty good solid business selling like computer vision technology and, you know, first to mitigate collisions and, you know, within vehicles and now taking it to the next level, but they have, I'm not saying it's a good or bad approach, but I'm saying they've been really clear about their approach of doing the robotaxi piece 
and also doing the ADAS piece. Some of the terminology he uses isn't my favorite, like level two plus, but right now we huh. don't seem to have, right now we don't seem to have a term for it. And so it's become this part of, part of our jargon now. Um, they, they've been pretty clear, I think, um, about it. I think the problem is when um, autonomous driving is put out there, that it's actually like a very, very, very defined use case of it. So, um, for example, they'll be like, we're going to have autonomous vehicles. We're going to have a personal autonomous vehicles. And then if you read the fine print, it's like, well, okay, the autonomous driving part is going to be parking. And that's going to be a level four. And everything else is going to be a level two. And that's where, you know, like the average person does not know what level two or level four is. Um, and yeah. so everything is then autonomous to them. You know, uh, yeah. and, and so I think that uh, you talked about like a regression and there seems to be a bit of a regression um, as everyone realizes that if they want to make revenue, they're going to have to push more on the ADAS side. We saw that. Remember in 2020, we saw that in 2021 and now again here in 2022. But to make it sexier and more exciting, they want to amp it up and use terms like autonomous driving when it might be the narrowest, tiniest slice of that. We should just call it highway autonomy. Call it parking autonomy. Do not call it personally owned autonomy, which implies general autonomy. It's well, if you're talking about helpful. GM, we don't even know what that's going to look like. All that it's been implied is that by middle of the decade, there will be some personal autonomous vehicles. So, so you know, CES to me was lots of EV stuff, lots of ADAS stuff, very little actual L4 companies. Yeah. You know, like Too Simple made some announcements, but like, you know, in years past, remember all the demos and all the announcements specifically from companies that are developing a like L for um, autonomous delivery or um, uh, robo taxis. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think I uh, just to, and not to, to harp on this too much, but I do think harp that Alex, Alex has a good point about the, about the personally owned AV thing. Like even if that is your goal uh, and, and I understand, you know, all these companies also like, you know, we, we know that hype has a downside, but we also know that hype is just something that you have to do to some extent, right? And, and I think there, you know, there can be an interesting discussion about where to draw lines about some of that stuff. But I do think that, like, if you, you know, and and just from my perspective, um, you know, working in in AV education, I mean, the number one issue is really for us because of the the safety impact is, you know, people confusing ADAS for 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 autonomous you know, um, that it makes their, their vehicle autonomous, um, when it doesn't. And, and that perception is remarkably resilient and popular and hard to, and we're still struggling to, to really make much of a, of a measurable impact on it. And I think that the, the, the simplest way, and right. And a lot of the challenge with all kinds of AV education is how do you take a lot of complexity and, and boil it down to some simple, you know, digestible takeaways. And, Ed, and you're, you're the, the communications number, director for pave. The, the Do you have one, any influence over these folks? Uh, I mean, I don't think I really have a lot of influence over, no, not over, <laughs> over uh, people's marketing. I, I don't get, I'm not in the loop in early, like marketing messaging, you know, planning meetings. Um, 
so for 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 big announcements. But but my point is that is that the simplest messaging that we have on this issue, and I'm not saying it's the only way we can make an impact on this issue, but the simplest one is you cannot buy an autonomous vehicle today, right? Like no vehicle that you buy today is autonomous. That's the simplest messaging for it. And obviously saying that there will be, or, or maybe like personally viable, you know, uh, per- privately owned AVs in the future, that doesn't contradict that messaging, but it starts to, again, sort of as Alex is saying, it's, it's, it's less that this is like a terrible thing and more of a, of a sense that like we were making progress slowly but surely towards being more specific about stuff and, and really being sensitive about this confusion and really doing our best to avoid any kind of confusion, like, like further contributing to it. And I do feel like even just saying like, you're going to be able to buy your own AV, it, it kind of, it, it kind of it just, it, it muddies the water a little bit, right? It, sure. Again, it's not, it's no, not the I, worst I thing and it's not contradictory, but it just muddies the water a little bit. And, and I do hope that, that some folks sort of stop and, and think about sort of like, okay, are, are there better ways to message this so that we can avoid potentially contributing to this problem? Because it's For, a real Personally, one. I think that like when those types of claims are made, which, you know, who's going to remember um, if they're, you know, who's who, I mean, hopefully we are the ones who are checking, but like, who's going to remember like, Oh, remember when Mary Barra said that, like, first of all, she had mentioned that already in a in a uh, earnings call back in May of 2021. So this wasn't like necessarily new, except for that there was a timeline attached to it. Kind of um, timelines have been broken before um, by many companies, um, including Cruise, which is a, the self driving subsidiary of GM, as well as others. You know, they're not the only ones. I, I think to me that was it felt very much like weirdly some sort of way to uh, appease shareholders and look like they're like Tesla. But the sad thing is, is that Tesla is also not offering autonomous vehicles. So, you know, it just falling into that, um, like there's an opportunity to define yourself by being like, there are none on the market today. And this is how we're working towards these things. And Ultra Cruise and what they're doing with Ultra Cruise should have been interesting enough. Um, <laughs> you know, because it is an ADOS system and it is getting, they are increasing functionality and they are I- increasing the, you know, geofenced area and, and it is hands-free and like there's, there's, you know, but, but when you're publicly traded, you know. Well, so, you and gotta, I think that, and I think that's, that's really kind of what it comes down to is, and, and, you know, we've been saying this, but, but I think it, it, it's worth repeating that like, when you have the best known company in this space, you know, when, when they are Tesla and they are selling full self-driving, have been selling it for five years, it's nowhere close to, to being full self-driving. There's no, you know, the, 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 and, and it's just a, it's being kept alive by them raising the price every couple of months, like, like cranking up the stupid tax a little higher uh, as a way to make it seem real. Like, like when that's the, the most successful game plan in the business that you're operating in, like over time, you know, if, if there's not a cost to operating the way that Tesla has operated, like over time, everyone will gravitate towards doing what they're doing because they're just, they've been objectively not successful in developing an AV, but like they've got, they've got people to believe that they're going to be able to develop an AV. They, they, so 
I, you know, I think as long as, so I think if, if, if Tesla, you know, faces some, some consequences for what it's been doing, then maybe those incentives shift. But as long as Tesla has basically paid no price for, for running a scam, frankly, uh, and, and endangering the public, uh, you're going to see like the incentives are just aligned towards someone following in their in their footsteps. All right, let's sure. get back to where we want to be, which is CES. Yeah, Kirsten. let's not go down did, to the Tesla road. Did um, you couple- did you go in the Tesla tunnel? I wasn't there. <laughs> what are you talking about? I I, I know you, I know you were. Go on. <laughs> um. Well, this kind of ties in with ADAS and um, driver monitoring and attention, which is. While there is some progress in those areas, at the same time, the underlying like operating systems and software and just like the architecture to allow for more content to come into cars is happening. And as a result, a lot of the a lot of the announcements we saw are about, you know, remember back when like I don't know eight years ago or something, and it was like connected cars, and we're going to be able to do all this stuff. Well, now it's actually happening um, to an in, to a degree in which distraction is 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 going to have to be dealt with. So um, Google, for example, which they have their operating system in Volvo cars, um, so they have all the Google embedded um, services, including the Google Play Store. So they've added YouTube, which you can now download, um, or you will be able to download in newer Volvo vehicles. And also they've integrated with Google Home ecosystem. Um, Amazon is bringing its uh, Fire TV streaming platform into more vehicles. Um, and and you're, seeing, you're seeing more of this content. And two things, I think, for it to be safe need to happen. One, it's like has to be restricted, right? And when it can be used. But also voice assistants have to continue to keep, keep getting better, which we've seen some progress in that area. Um, in order to have people not constantly tapping on the screen. Um, and so I don't know if we're ready to get into predictions, but like I see these things converging, like it's going to be like DMS is going to become more important than ever. And like how, how technology or content in the vehicle is geofenced is going to become more important than ever before, based on what I saw at CES. So we're moving into predictions. I mean, unless you have something else to say about, um, there anyone want to talk about like the EVs? They saw lots of e-bikes, lots of, lots of um, little personal mobility devices and stuff like that too. Yeah. Did you see the Hyundai? Wait, did you anyone watch the Hyundai uh, Mobility of Things? Is that what they call it? Mobis. Yes, Hyundai Mobis. Mobis. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought that was interesting. You mean the, the cute, metaverse cute stuff? little cute little box car? I'm always, I like the idea. I mean, I just thought that it was like it fresh. I mean, I try where the, the commercial where the uh, senior elderly woman like gets put into a pod and then whisked away to like a waiting bus and her pod. And are you talking about that? I I thought it was interesting. The idea that you could add a robotic, um, uh, like thing to wheels to other devices. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we've seen so much nonsense. From so many people from for so long that I'm like, well, you know, that's interesting. Like that's a fresh idea from a big company. I didn't expect that. And that, that pleased me, especially after, and I really try not to 
I'm trying not to take down any big brands, but after hearing the same thing over and over, uh, you know, from other from other companies, which is nice to see even like a one fresh idea. Well, fresh the, idea. I think that what we're seeing is the fruits of um, Hyundai's uh, investment or acquisition of Boston Dynamics and their real attention to robotics. So, and how it applies to like every part of life, as opposed to how do I put it in a personal passenger vehicle that someone drives? So that, that to me is the big delineation. And I did think that that was really interesting, like putting these little modules on devices like my cane or my bag or my plant or whatever. Um, And while the pod thing was kind of people made fun of, I will say this, oh, it kind of gets to what we were talking about with one of our previous guests, Anna Haupt, which is. How do you have personal security or get people to share vehicles in which they can still be alone? And that, you know, maybe it's not exactly that where you get whisked away in this little pod and then you get, you know, it goes to this mother shuttle. But the idea of being part of mass transit, but without technically sharing in the world of pandemics and also just personal safety, like it did kind of tick those two boxes, which I thought was kind of refreshing. So, so related to this, I, I actually have a, a prediction. It, it, it's less about cruise. the next year, though, and it's, it's kind of a, a longer term one. Uh, it is relevant to cruise, in fact. Um, and it, it touches on, Alex, sort of what you were saying earlier about, about private AVs and, and, and things like that. And, and I think what we're seeing here is, a, um, is basically folks in, in this sort of driving automation technology space broadly are kind of increasingly being forced to choose one of two sort of directions ultimately. And I think this is, it's been developing for a while and we've seen it already, like in past CESs when we've discussed sort of some of the trends of the show, you know, we noticed, I remember last couple of years, you know, noticing more and more companies that had been sort of really robo-taxi and, and sort of AV focused kind of pivoting to to driver assistance and, get, and getting stuff in cars and, and things like that. And I think that that fundamentally you know, there's a, there's a, a choice that is going to be increasingly forced onto folks in this space. And that is, you know, what is, what is your vision? Because there really are two separate visions for driving automation technology. And they're, they're, I won't say they're incompatible, but they're very hard to, to make, it would, it would be very hard to make them work together. One of those visions is a kind of an urbanist friendly you know, city-oriented level four fleet approach, which is what a lot of the you know original sort of use cases and deployments and stuff for for AVs have been. Um, and the other one is a, a, a private uh, ownership-based model. And I think that these are are there's a fundamental choice here because really which of those directions you go take us in very different places, right? If you're talking about private owned, privately owned AVs, then all of a sudden you have maybe people sending out their AV to pick up, you know, groceries for them. And so you have zero occupant traffic. You have people less sensitive to, to traffic and long commute distances. And so you have more sprawl. Um, whereas with a fleet, uh, you know, and then potentially, yeah, so, so more congestion, more sprawl, with the private ownership model, which again, some people, for some people, that's not a problem, right? If you live in suburbs today and you drive places and whatever, like, you know, maybe for you, you know, the only problem that you really face in your personal mobility day to day is that your car doesn't drive itself. And if you can get a car that drives itself, then you'd be perfectly happy. Fine. Uh, but, but that is one direction. The other direction is these fleets that are really about sort of 
reducing the externalities that cars have in cities, right? And and sort of developing these on-demand mobility systems that that are, that operate really, really efficiently, move people really, really efficiently, and and that are ultimately compatible with sort of the broader urbanist agenda around more bike paths and more public transit and and all of these other things. I think this choice, you know, like the players in the space have been able to kind of you know meander here this way and that or whatever. I think the choice is going to is going to become harder and harder to to avoid. People are going to have to kind of move in one direction or another. And and uh, Alex, you you mentioned Cruise. I mean, I think that that's a really interesting example because you know Cruise was on a paved panel earlier uh, last year uh, talking about how shared fleets of robo taxis can reduce congestion in in cities, and that you know that that makes it fundamentally different than. Uh, you know, Uber and Lyft, for example, which have had notably, they promised to to reduce congestion, but actually worsened it. Um, and and that's like a very valid argument. But when you're the same company, right, your boss essentially at GM is saying, well, we're also going to sell publicly, uh, you know, this Cadillac, you know, sex pod, as one person put it, right? That was like very much like this car, right? It was like a personal luxury coupe that you can like sleep in and watch movies in and things like that. These are two incompatible visions, unless you're talking about a stratified society or something like that. And, and I think that ultimately folks are going to have to sort of choose one or the other. So I don't think this is something that's going to play out over this year alone, but I think this year we're really starting to see the rubber hit the road with that, with that choice. And it's going to be really interesting to see which companies go, which direction on that. One thing, though, um, that is worth noting is that I could, you know, the that that autonomous vehicle concept. I was happy to not see a lot of those like crazy concepts, like the Mercedes EQXX. Actually, everything in that vehicle, pretty much everything in that vehicle, was meant to show what what like the components were going to go in other vehicles. You know, maybe not the shape of it, but like the drivetrain, like electric motor, like all that stuff. Um, so we didn't see a lot of like the crazy concepts too much. But to me, the big difference isn't is is with regionally what will happen. <laughs> like I felt very like a vision for the United States as it sits today, and a vision for you know other parts of the world. And I'm not so sure I like the vision for the United States, where it's just like these, you know, luxury sleeper cars for the wealthy who don't care if they're sitting in traffic jams. Um, I'm much more interested in the like diverse mobility solutions like that Hyundai um showed off. Alex, what's what's your feeling about this? Because I know you're like me, and I think like Kirsten as well. Like I think we're all a little bit torn between both of those sides, right? Like I think both of us, I think all of us appreciate that cars are not really ideal in cities a lot of times and especially really dense cities and there's kind of better ways to get around in places like that but we also all love road tripping and getting out there in our cars and stuff and so i don't know alex do you have a, any thoughts about sort of this existential choice long term so i'm not actually convinced that the two that drive cars with driver assistance or highway autonomy or some limited functionality autonomous functionality in highways are necessarily in conflict with uh, urban city autonomous robo taxi fleets. They're not, I mean, they may appear to be, but I think what's important is that the, that they be sequenced correctly. 
uh, because it's, it's someday, you know, 10, 15 years from now, if things I mean, optimally work out, you'll be able to buy a car that might be able to work in a city center. However, it's ha- there's, there are as yet undeployed um, like traffic management systems for cities that don't even exist yet that are going to come. And I think it's inevitable that in, in European cities, we'll see it first. It, there'll be robotaxi fleets. And if you bring a privately owned vehicle capable of L4 inside an urban geofence into a city boundary, it will be then it will be managed as part of like a city traffic management system. And that if com- you know multiple companies are operating robotaxi fleets in the same city, they will also be on some platform. We haven't seen it yet, but it's going to come in some form. And so whatever congestion pricing looks like in London uh, and some other European cities. Uh, will there'll be some kind of traffic market. And I think we're going to see some relation between like VMT and congestion and, and pricing. But this is so far, the future doesn't matter. For now, I think companies need to differentiate. Like there's level four urban robotaxi fleets. There's highway autonomy. It's two different things and not muddy the waters because consumers need to know what they're buying so they can weigh their options wisely. And the best option in a city, I, I live in Miami now, you came from New York. In most cases, is not to drive a car around. It sucks. Yeah. I meet a lot of people who live in Miami Beach. I live in the mainland who say to me they live in the beach specifically because they don't need a car there. And, and I, I, I was actually surprised to meet several people in recent weeks who didn't know that I work for Argo AI say to me, God, I would love for those things to be deployed. And um, who wouldn't, especially female passengers? Um, and they, they don't have to share. If you don't have to share. Right. Which doesn't really help with traffic congestion. Unless uh, it's a different form factor. But Alex is right that policy, I mean, there are policies, right? right? Like, and and by the way, Alex, I wasn't talking about like level three, you know, traffic jamises. I'm talking about like privately owned L4 vehicles, (laughs) right? I think it's just, it's not. Well, I mean, I think that's, that's what, that's what. That's Imran Shashwa's vision, right? Um, and I, I have to take that guy seriously. Um, and and so so what I'm saying, but 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 you're absolutely right, Alex. Like like uh, good congestion pricing or, or or whatever that some kind of congestion management policy could could make a, a world of privately owned level four AVs not into a dystopian, right? Keep it from from becoming kind of dystopian. Um, but that's also you know policy is hard. Policy is not good at good it. policy is like makes all the difference and mudding the the mudding the waters of language around this makes it harder for good policy to emerge and these everyone in the in the industry has responsibility to be clarity to use clear language because what they say for marketing purposes may in fact end up harming efforts elsewhere to deploy anything Right. But I think that I would agree with you on all those points. But until um, the power of the reason why these marketing efforts, it's not just marketing. It's not like we think of marketing as marketing to consumers. This is marketing to investor communities. Oh, even worse. And so that is why it is so hard to me. This is because right now the widget isn't available. So yeah. it's about the promise or the expectation of the widget, which is clearly directed towards investor investment community. So that is why I don't think, and this is a great segue to get into for predictions. Predictions. I do not see any clarity 
in language until all the widgets appear, if we're going to use that analogy, and shit goes sideways and then is forced. That is my prediction, unfortunately. I think it's going to continue to get muddied um, because as much as we'll talk about it, like, I mean, I don't know. I don't doubt our power, right? Like people do listen to us. Hmm. At the same time, like they're still motivated by attracting either private investments or, um, you know, satiating the appetite of uh, shareholders if they're a publicly traded company. And they have to show that they're relevant. And they're constantly, unfortunately, trying to stack themselves up and compare themselves to Tesla. And as a result, we're going to continue to get muddy language, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's my prediction. Um, I predict that um, driver monitoring systems will grow in ubiquity. And some companies, I'm not going to name names because it's just almost so obvious now, are they're going to. And driver monitoring systems are, are going to vary in accuracy of measurement and in the boundaries they allow for driver behavior. And that some companies are going to just say, we have a system, it's camera-based, therefore you should trust us. And I, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be Tesla. You already see the fans saying that. And then you're going to have other companies that are going to have systems that are more boundary and potentially more accurate with boundaries that are safer and stricter. and um, there's going to be a fight, both in in the in public and also in, in front of like regulatory panels over what is the appropriate amount, and this is going to begin to play out in 2022 and into 2023 in in a, in a very serious way. And the future of driving assistance safety depends on this being played out. I, I want to say in an optimal way, and meaning that. People are honest. Companies are honest about how they're designing the systems, what the systems do. And um, and in regulators, uh, understanding the words they hear so they can they can make real decisions about this. Uh, and I've seen very little indication that anyone uh, really understands this stuff outside of the people developing the systems. So Alex, I, I think I, I not only do I completely agree with what you're saying, I think that NHTSA is going to actually create performance tests standards for for driver monitoring because i think you're right like you can't just say it has to be camera based because camera based systems are not all equal and yes i have fsd beta on my tesla and i routinely drive around and there's a camera in it and i can look down at my phone long enough to be unsafe without any penalty and these tesla stands are like well I, you know it's got a system in it but it's not it does it's not it's not tight enough to prevent the types of risky behavior that has led to crashes in the past. So usually like if it would ever get to a kind of like a regulatory state where you are required where, you know, like the backup camera thing, it generally, um, my understanding is that like the federal government isn't necessarily into picking winners or losers and saying you have to have this specific thing, but it's more, we'll say it has to meet these qualifications. So I could see, Ed, although I don't think it's going to happen in 2022, like that seems really fast, but I could see it happening in the future, maybe beyond that, is this is what the DMS has to be able to measure. And, and, and like more like um, these are the specs it has to hit and you can achieve it in these various ways. Kirsten's correct. And that's going to mean uh, one of those specs is going to be 
a DMS, camera-based DMS, can function at night in in darkness, potentially zero light. And that rules out any of this nonsense about, you know, systems uh, legacy like Tesla DMS. It's just, it's or wearing a hat. Like it works wearing a hat too. I also think we're going to see uh, a shift towards kind of what I was mentioning earlier, but but also related to this about, about nighttime performance. I mean, I think that you're going to see uh, AEB standards move higher and, and maybe, maybe it'll be tougher testing in, uh, you know, in, among NGOs or something like that, or, or something like that, or, or even consumer reports or whatever, but like, and you, and we started to see a little bit of this, but I think we're going to, we're going to move towards, um, you know, tougher standards for a, not just performance standards for, for DMS so that that works at night, but then things like AEB, um, ensuring that they actually work at night because AEB and people forget this all the time, uh, including I, I do sometimes AEB, um, in the insurance data, there's a clear safety benefit to it. It's the least exciting or sexy or tech technologically mind blowing system on your car. Most people don't even know it's there because you don't know it's there until it, until you get into almost get into a crash and, and, and then it kicks in level two systems on the other hand, which people are constantly confusing with, with fully autonomous and and which people are constantly claiming all kinds of safety benefits around. There is no benefit, safety benefit in the data to it. And so I think that again, this is sort of about this: like, you know, are we developing this technology because people think it's cool, or are we developing this technology to to solve real problems? And I think that you're going to see uh, moving towards making ADAS work better. The safety, taking the safety uh, features that we know actually improve safety. And improving on them. And I think with LIDAR or thermal, then all of a sudden, you know, you can get those working with pedestrians in any kind of weather conditions, right? Or light conditions anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, the irony, of course, is that all by conflating safety and convenience and deploying different types of L2 driver assistance just pushes, uh, just creates a deeper chasm in between driver assistance and actual L4 autonomous vehicles, which will be so demonstrably safer inevitably than the majority of L2 systems, which don't actually offer a safety benefit yep. that people are going to uh, hopefully understand the difference. I mean, I suppose, it, what do they call it? What's the term for um, the uh, uncanny valley? It's mm. going to be like the uncanny safety valley yeah. where people are going to become soured on L2 as they realize it's not the panacea that people, uh, some have claimed it to be. Yeah, no. And, and I think, I think there's, there's some interesting questions around like, you know, just as L2 becomes more and more ubiquitous and we still don't have like a lot of these standards around driver monitoring and where it works and when it works, is it possible that, you know, anytime you broaden your market, right? If, if, the first version of anything that comes out, it gets bought by the early adopters who are going to be more tech savvy and, and a little bit more sort of, you know, engaged, right. Um, and aware of, of what the product is and, and what it isn't. Um, but as you broaden that market and, and things become more mainstream, then all of a sudden you're going to get people who, you know, really have no inclination towards, you know, understanding these, these safety issues or whatever, and, and they use them. And, and I wonder, you know, because because the the challenge with level two is that we know it fundamentally it tends to make people uh, become inattentive, <laughs> but at the same time, if anything goes wrong, 
they're the ones who pay the price for it, right? It's their responsibility. And I wonder if at some point we may see level two has been interesting because level two, in some ways, there's some there's some data that, that suggests maybe it kind of gets people more comfortable with with automation and therefore improves their their trust and acceptance of, of fully autonomous vehicles. I wonder if at some point um, in the absence of, of, of strong standards, maybe, you know, enough people will have these crashes where they'll they went into the crash thinking that the the car should have had their back and and come out the other side of it feeling like wait a second like i was lured into trusting this thing and then stuck with the consequences of it maybe now i trust this technology less because of my experience with it um which would be a really interesting and and not great development so i'm not well, and, and, and can we put a chicken time can we put a cooking timer on you so kirsten can give her next prediction i'm done i don't have a prediction prediction as much as a question which leads to a prediction but i have a question for you how many autonomous shuttle companies are going to exist by the end of 2022? Because Optimus Ride is now gone. So they're just none are going to exist. So, but don't you think that there is a use case for these like low speed shuttles? I do. Yeah, but it's too, it's too soon for any of them. I believe I don't think I think it's too soon for any of them to survive as standalone companies and scale up as shuttle companies. I think that they need that they need to benefit from the economies of scale of a larger, better financed, long-term, going to exist in ten years. Company, I, right, I, I, like, your look question. At every single look, look at every single. Okay, my my only. I'm going to stand on my soapbox for a minute. So I saw um, one example at Yellowstone, right, this past summer, and tried it, and I'm like, all these areas where there's tons of dumb traffic because people don't know where they're going and they're tourists, and you have these like low-speed electrical shuttles with with you know windows you can look at and out out and you can look at the view and like to me that's like perfect use case so there's if you apply that across you know the country and like corporate campuses and stuff like that it seems like there's room for a few yeah but but i think alex is right too that like the value that they deliver is a little bit intangible right a lot of the value though a lot of the reasons that that these places decide to get one of these shuttles is for the image of, of we have an right. autonomous vehicle on, on campus and whether that is a durable value is a question. Sure. Fair. Look, look, every, Oliver Cameron voyage. We like him. It looked like it made sense. Cruz took it off the table. It kept him and shut down the service. Uh, something like that will come back in the future. Um, but just not, not in 2022. Not, no, not in the so near that, term. So my question was leading to like the prediction. So neither of you think that, or Alex, you don't think any autonomous shuttle companies are going to exist by the end of next year. <laughs> It'd be a miracle if any do, but look, okay. I, I said last year, and the year before that MNA was going to accelerate and it's accelerating and it will continue to accelerate. So I've, I've got the kind of prediction you're looking for here, Kirsten. I okay. will say that in 2022, one, at least one, EV startup that went public over the last two years, I guess really, I guess they all kind of went public over the last year, but I want to make sure I'm including everything. So we'll say every, of, of the, yeah, all they, the EV companies, there were some all the EV companies that have gone public in the, in the last two years, at least one of them will be either bankrupt or delisted by the end of 2022. How about that? They're nice and specific. This is the kind of thing, by the way, Tesla fans, you know, you're looking for, for things to, to discredit me with. This is a specific prediction that I'm actually making, and you can follow up on that and see if I was right or wrong. Um, okay, here's a prediction. 
I predict at least two more companies uh, that are autonomous vehicle companies working on various applications of that, but on a not, you know, this is a level they're dedicated to L4. We'll go, we'll file for an IPO before July. Of 2022. Correct. All right. That's a nice specific one. I'm sure Alex has two. a lot of a lot of thoughts. I said I, two. Yeah. I mean, there might be more, but I have two in mind. Uh I I at one point I might have said, well, I really can't say anything about this because it would be unkind to speak about competitors. Um right. I'll just say that I was uh, the Dan Ammon departure from Cruise was a surprise to a lot of people. Probably most of all to Dan to Dan Ammon. I don't think I don't <laughs> think good. anyone any of us I don't remember any of us predicting that last year, right? No. 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 Any last predictions? Every independent DMS uh, developer will be acquired, and then in the next twelve to eighteen months. We've already seen we've already seen that kind of happening already, right? Like they're all they're all getting acquired. All of them. All of them. And you're gonna see you already see it. like Mobileye will grab one, NVIDIA, Magna, they're just gonna take them all off the table. They're gonna have to. I have one more prediction. I believe um that some companies that were like seemingly mostly focused on robo taxis are going to flip flop to mostly focusing on delivery and trucking. That's are there, are there any that haven't done that yet? Happened. Yeah, I was it, it say. happened, but there's still some some out there. Okay, I I that seems I, very plausible to me. Okay, oh. but this is more fun and not really. So can we move on to just fun? Oh, thing? Hold on. I got one more one more serious okay. prediction. There will be a highly publicized crash of a tesla during fsd beta in 2022 i give two to one odds that alex roy will be behind the wheel of that tesla when when that occurs that's it that's it that's horrible thing to say that's terrible that's first of all it's untrue because the fsd beta vehicle that i've got is going back it's a lease i'm giving it back soon so that's very unlikely secondly then secondly i hate using it i find it to be highly stressful and of no benefit to me day to day. Like, so, I mean, I, it's a science experiment. And I, I'm sorry I paid for it now because it's just, it, it just doesn't make driving better. Wait, you regret buying full self driving from Tesla, Alex? This is. But you got it for a steal of a deal of only $10,000, right? It was built into my. 12. It was built into my lease. And uh, it, you know, we can say this for another episode. Uh, I'm going to predict. That whenever that incident occurs, and I am very offended you suggested it was going to be me, Edward. Um, so I'm like the last guy that's going to happen. It's, it's a good uh, thing when, you've never given me a hard time, yeah. Alex. Whenever that incident occurs, and I hope it doesn't, but I agree with you, if it, it, it's inevitable. Uh, there is going to be a lot of noise around... AVSC and J3018 and safety driver training, test specialist training. And uh, I rarely bring up Argo in this show because I like to appear, I at least want to be, um, I don't want to appear to be here as a representative of Argo, which I'm not. But over the holidays, Argo, you know, announced that it conforms to J3018. 
And I'm surprised more companies haven't come out and said something like that. I think it's really important. And I think it's going to become increasingly clear over time that uh, this is a good thing, that, that the training of safety drivers really matters and that Tesla's behavior being so far outside the fold is suboptimal for road testing of AV. Okay. So, Ed, um, I could see more companies coming out and like clarifying, just like we saw more companies coming out after the um, Uber crash. Um, really kind of clarifying how their safety training was. Um, and so I could see that happening. I agree. I don't it, necessarily. This is the elephant in the room. It's the elephant in the room. And you see this from time to time, an event, an incident percolates up. And I'm surprised that the media isn't all, all over this. Uh, some companies, there's multiple companies are on the right side of history here. And then you got some of that are just, you know, <laughs> chugging along. I don't, I don't know if anybody is going to necessarily take the step that Argo took of certifying 3018 compliance, but I do think you'll see more companies saying more about their, about their driver training. Right. Definitely. Um, I'm sorry, not driver training, safety operator training. It's not driving. It's fundamentally different. Right, right. Safety operator. Um, okay. So Ed, uh, how many cars do you think Alex is going to own by the end of the year? <laughs> I don't even know how many cars Alex owns right now. Well, he has the Morgan. He's got the Morgan. He's got the Porsche, even though it's not in his place. And then he, two Teslas. Is that right? So four? One, one Tesla goes back uh, soon. Okay. Um, uh, the Morgan, oh, I'm, I'm going to sell soon. Yeah. So I'm going to say two. I'm going to say Alex is Roy. Oh, wait. Will, don't you have the BMW as well? I still have, I still oh, yeah, the, have BMW. the BMW. Um, I love, listen, I, my Tesla is my daily driver and I love my Tesla. Uh, and I, I probably going to replace it with another Tesla. I really don't want to. Uh, well, there are alternatives. I mean, have you yeah, driven a, a Mustang Mach-E before? They're pretty great. Or the, the Hyundai Ioniq 5. Mm, that's the uh, one I want to drive. Great cars. Or both of them are great cars. And I have friends who own Mustang Mach-E's. They love them. Um, part of me feels like I need to own a Tesla so I can legitimately claim to be familiar with it and unbiased it's why i first got it and uh we'll that's see a, that's a heady that's a that's a steep financial commitment for optics because uh, you you're in any car you want to be in right it's a, a lot of a lot of money and pain to impress a bunch of dweebs honestly it's more like uh i mean imagine i'm trying to think of a historic analogy and i really can't think of one uh it's a perfectly good car and owning it, even if there's some like uh, delta between it and something that would be sufficient, uh, I think it's important to understand what, what one is talking about. And there's no better way than to own one. I okay, so that means that if you sell the Morgan and you get rid of one of the Teslas and you have the Porsche and the BMW and and you might replace the other, so you'll have three. You say, Alex, you're going to have three cars at the end of the year. Uh, you know, the truth is that I really, I drive very rarely and I'd like to downsize. I, I might start riding a bicycle, but the cycling infrastructure in Miami is inconsistent and not where I'd like it to be in terms of just safety and convenience. So my prediction is this. I don't think you're going to sell a single vehicle this year. I think that you're going to try an e-bike. So you're going to gain some, but then you're ultimately going to be and and which by the way would be great fodder for any kind of oh yeah one that actually has <laughs> wheels not the stationary one um and 
it's going to actually be good fodder for you for your writing because you're going to have the perspective of a cyclist. But um, and maybe at the very end of the year, just to prove me wrong, you're going to get rid of several vehicles. The Morgan's going to go away and probably the BMW, too. We'll see. Oh, don't sell the BMW. It's historic. It belongs in a museum. Can we just can we just let's just wrap this up now, because uh, I I'm a safety advocate. And I'm trying to downsize and get closer to, to just up. Well, how many feet. vehicles are you going to end up with? I predict I'm going to own three vehicles by the end of the year. Actually, I should say that I just bought one. So that's the three. So you got I, a van, right? Correct. So now we have all the model years of vehicles keep getting like older. <laughs> I'm not buying anything new. Um, so we have the 2010 Subaru. Right. And then we have the 1984 Porsche 928S. Oh, my God. Be still my beating heart. Yes. We already talked about this, Alex. You've forgotten already. And uh, we just purchased or about to purchase today, actually, completing the sale of a a 2002 uh, VW Eurovan Weekender, which our friends had. And we sort of like, I think, have stumbled into the van life cult. but. Not really intentionally, but it will be great for us, um, for all of our climbing and adventures. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't have, it's not the van again, so it doesn't have like the four wheel drive option, you know, it doesn't have the clearance, but it should be good. And then who knows, maybe one of those will end up being converted into an EV. Um, really, actually, we've had one car for 10 years and we mostly ride bikes. And I test drive a lot of vehicles and also two of Alex's vehicles have been at my house for a period of three, up to three years in different capacities. So I've never really needed them, but the, the 928 is a family vehicle that we took possession of. And then this, the van was just too hard to pass up. And so there we go. All right. And on that note, you all, you all lead such interesting vehicular lives. I've had the same vehicles for since 2016 now. So uh, <laughs> no, yeah, but I, was, to I, was the one, I was the one car wonder for 10 years. So it's been pretty boring except for the ones I was testing, obviously. Yeah. Well, hopefully that van will get you out West and, and we'll go do some, do some camping or something. Last question. And let's wrap this up. You still have the shoe, the BMW sh- clown shoe car. Of course I do. I'm going to be buried in that. God bless your heart, Edward. It's gonna. I have a. I have a whole Viking funeral where uh, you know my my next of kin is gonna light it on fire and put me in it and and roll it off a cliff. We're we're still filling out some of the, the environmental compliance paperwork for that. So. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, that seems a little bit like um, probably not quite meeting. It's all it's all very sustainable, Kirsten. And besides okay. which, I'll well, be dead. I'll be dead. Note. So it's not my problem. And yeah. on that note, and, and you'll get a wildfire maybe named after yourself. There you there go. You go. Yeah. You'll, your goal to be immortal will be cemented in that. We're not going to let that happen, folks. I'm sure some of you who are listening think that, that we're being serious, but of course we're not. So on that note, as Alex wanted to say, uh, thank you for listening to another episode of the Atonicast. <laughs>